Hey, pasa, move fasa. Welcome to the Mycopreneur Podcast, a podcast about people solving problems with mushrooms. I'm your host, Dennis Walker, and today on the pod, we've got none other than Darren Springer, AKA Darren LeBaron. Darren is an expert on Pan-African and African diaspora legacies and traditions, especially when it comes to their initiatory and ceremonial rites. I've been following Darren's work for some time now, and on the very first podcast I recorded for Micopreneur back in January, 2021, Darren's name came up as someone I absolutely had to connect with. So boom, we made it happen. Today, Darren's gonna shed some light on the legacy of mushroom use and other entheogenic technologies in Sub-Saharan and Kemetic Africa. Kemet being the native name of ancient Egypt, for those unfamiliar. This collective tradition of ritualized psychedelic use and advanced technology in ancient Pan-African society is fundamental to the human race, yet largely overlooked by conventional scholars and historians for reasons Darren will elaborate on today. Indeed, many of these African entheogenic traditions are the well from which Abrahamic religion has drawn its own mythology and sacramental practices. The mysteries of Isis, an ancient Kemet, are the basis for the Eulicinian mysteries of the Greco-Roman world, in which a Eucharist is consumed to facilitate communion with the divine. Sound familiar? We're also going to touch base about the equity gap in psychedelics and how mushrooms and psychedelic experiences can serve as a lens through which to examine the wounds of colonization and to marshal a collective response to historical injustices and the extraction-oriented, violence-plagued state of the modern world. Nobody is walking on eggshells here, folks. We are digging in and reporting the facts in this here discourse, which is kicking off right now. So everybody buckle in and loosen up, loosey-goosey. Let's get this show on the road. K Pasa Mufasa, Darren Springer, aka Darren LeBaron. Welcome to the Micropreneur Podcast. Thanks for coming. Oh, thank you, Dennis, man. I appreciate the invitation. Really do. Yeah, sure enough. It's been a big week for you, I know, with all of the bicycle day and 420 and the massive resurgent public interest and in psychedelics. And in addition to that, it marks the one year anniversary of the passing of Baba Kalindi Iyi. How are you holding up through all of this crazy week? Yeah, well, in all honesty, it's been challenging, but at the same time, I'm feeling good for it. It's giving me fuel, giving me focus, direction. And um, yeah, man, I'm happy that we're able to do this and I'm able to move forward, man, and you know, be in a good space with it all. Sure. And speaking of being in a good space, you seem to be one of the busiest people in psychedelics. It feels like you've got your fingers in all these different pots. And I've been seeing that you're pretty involved with the Diaspora Psychedelic Society out in Jamaica. So I wanted to hear a little bit about what, what are you guys up to out there in Jamaica? Well, let me give a shout out to Brother Omar Thomas, who's the founder of the Diaspora Society in Jamaica. And um, what's going on is for, you know, the history is that there's a lot going on in Jamaica in regards to, you know, the, you know, the part of the psychedelic renaissance, but, you know, the awareness of magic mushrooms being on the island and that it's, you know, not, not illegal to participate and distribute magic mushrooms on the island. So what that has done is actually got a lot of interest from people all around the world who are currently over there and doing what they do. And um, what Omar has done with the society over there, he's had a real focus on, you know, people from the island as well as the 
people of African descent in the diaspora being able to access these services, whereas the companies and organizations that are currently over there may not have the people on the ground's best interest at heart, as well as, you know, have an interest in people who are from, you know, Europe now, who are descendants of people from Africa by way of the Caribbean, for example, um, how do we get to access these types of services, you know, in a homely, you know, environment that resonates with who we are and our being. So he's doing amazing work out there and um, I'm supporting him all the way. There's a lot, you know, you need to check out this, the website, but there's everything from, you know, um, retreats, you know, and not the traditional retreats either, you know, very bespoke and conscious with elements of permaculture, working programs, and a range of other services that are being provided you know, on the island that's in conjunction with, you know, um, people that are on the ground over there. So there's lots happening. And I can't wait to come check it out in person. You know, actually, the first time that I ever saw a psychedelic mushroom was in Jamaica. I was 16 years old, and I didn't try it at that point, but someone pulled up next to me on a little motorbike and popped out, and they had a selection of psychedelic mushrooms. We recently had a wonderful podcast guest from Uganda named Josephine Nakakandi. She shared a little bit about the history of mushroom use in Uganda among different tribes. And two of the uses that really stuck out to me were that um, when there's an intertribal wedding, they consume mushrooms. And she didn't explicitly uh, state if they were psychedelic or not. She also mentioned that when twins are born, new newborn twins in Uganda, that their first, their first meal should be mushrooms. And that was kind of the first I had heard about ceremonial and ritualistic use of mushrooms among sub-Saharan African tribes. So I was hoping that maybe you could drop some knowledge on some of uh, your, your knowledge of sub-Saharan and traditional mushroom use in Pan-African tribes and cultures. Sure. Well, um, at the same time, let's give a shout out to Josephine. I'm familiar with her work. I follow her on Instagram. Um, and I would love that in the future we could be personal friends, you know, and can make connections in that way. But um, with that said, I see all the work that she's doing with schools, you know, and developing mushroom cultivation amongst women in the community. And that's what it's all about. And that's primarily where you're going to find a lot of the wisdom being held in Africa is by way of the women and the elders in the communities. Um, obviously, there's more knowledge and wisdom shared around the use of the gourmet and medicinal mushrooms. But even with that said, most of it is oral tradition. So a lot of it isn't, hasn't been recorded for the most part. And um, it's not necessarily readily available for you in the books and references that, you know, are currently provided when doing history on psychedelics as well as Africa. So um, that's part of my research as well, what I'm into. And I, I always say now that I've done my thorough research as far as I've got so far, um, you know, from north to south, east to west, ancient to present, there's use, you know, history and use of using mushrooms in Africa, you know. Um, if we go as far back as the earliest people, the groups that we find in those regions like Uganda, as well as, you know, Gabon and the Congo and Central Africa, you find the earliest groups of people um, that we know on Earth today, the so-called pygmy groups, who are better than the Aka, the Baka, the Mbuti, the Babongo, just to name a few. And with those groups, we found that they hold the oldest DNA, the oldest, you know, records of human existence, along with groups that you find in Southern Africa. And these were the groups who migrated out of the continent to other parts to come back to Africa, to go back out again and basically populated the world. So I'm saying with that to say that they've got records of using psychedelics, you know, they're actually the groups that gifted the, the Bantu tribes who came down, who came later on, um, the knowledge and wisdom of the Iboga plant. 
and with Ebola or Ebola gain that is currently being researched, um, is known for supporting people with their addictions, primarily heroin and alcohol and various forms of trauma. But these groups of people use Ebola as a form of technology to communicate with their ancestors. You know, that's what it was gifted to them for, to be able to communicate with the dead. And that's what the mythology in the group suggests these plants were gifted to them for. There's many other benefits you can glean from, you know, in partaking in these substances. But for the most part, you find that throughout these different cultures, they have these plants and they're used as a technology to communicate like Bluetooth or your Wi-Fi. Um, but at the same time, it's used or integrated into rituals and ceremonies. And that could be everything from birth, marriage, as you've mentioned, you know, death and everything in between. And um, yeah, there's a wealth of information, you know, that goes from the ancient times to the present. These groups are still present and still have their, their practices. You know, if you go to Southern Africa, you've got the Zulus, for example, who are, you know, well known in history, at least, for defeating the British when they attempted to, you know, um, take over and colonize their lands at that time. And um, it's documented that the Zulu um, were basically, Know, psychedelic compounds along with cannabis as a means of their warriorship you know and supporting them and becoming you know in their rites of passages from young boys to young men and this was part and parcel of you know some of the traditions that they you know that they keep and again you find this you know as I said from north central south ancient to present there are you know there are records as well as oral traditions as well as the people still alive here and now still doing these practices. And I think you nailed it right there, obviously, with the lack of, lack of a written tradition. It's all an oral tradition. So it's, uh, it requires a sort of initiation or sort of closeness for people to be inducted into that worldview. It's not just, you know, out in the open, written for cultures all over the world to see, but it's more of a need-to-know basis and like an initiatory basis. And I think this is a great launching point to talk about psychedelics and race. And as you no doubt are aware, there's enormous social tension in the United States where I'm from, and institutional racism, bad blood boiling over the whole decolonization movement. Um, no doubt that dialogue's in full swing in the UK and elsewhere in Europe and around the world. And I think that this emerging public interest, like mainstream public interest in psychedelics, it absolutely should and needs to be fused with the conversation of race relations. And I see it as the way we treat the planet is the way we treat each other. And the relationship we have with the planet is the relationship we have with each other. So I'm just curious if, if you have any sentiments about this rising tide of psychedelic consciousness and public interest, and also this, you know, this conversation about decolonization. You mentioned the Diaspora Psychedelic Society. How, yeah, there's lots of unscrupulous players and characters who are going to places like Jamaica. And we saw it in Peru with the ayahuasca industry where pretty much anyone could come in and people who had money could open an operation and they could make money hand over fist without you know, recognizing the integrity and the validity of a lot of the ancestral protectors of these medicines. So I just wanna talk a little bit about looking at the public interest in psychedelic through the lens of, of race relations. And if you had any thoughts on that. Yeah, well, it's interesting. Um simply because you know this is an area if you refer to it as race relations or you know the lack of diversity in these fields it's not just the psychedelic community you know i've had to have these types of conversations in many other areas of my life you know including horticulture permaculture you know education you know the you know the penal system you know you, you name it you know there's like a an injustice that's you know serves 
and is delivered simply because that's the structure of the you know of the system of the, the hierarchy how it's been and the people behind who sit around the table and the decisions that they make so this filters down into many areas of our lives including the psychedelic you know field as well and i would like to think that because of you know some of the gifts that psychedelics hold that enable people to remove barriers and you know the yeah the barriers that prevent us from you know engaging in ourselves and with other people and would support you know a movement like this so to speak but at the same time you've got people who are at the top that may not necessarily be partaking in psychedelics so that's not their school of thought so as far as the challenge is you know it's like a you know it's an institutional type approach that would need to be dealt with the same way in a psychedelic community or in education so to speak so yeah there's loads of things that could be said about how the current model doesn't serve a wider range of people and it may take those people themselves to come up with their own systems that complement who they are and their way of life and not necessarily rely or depend upon, you know, the, the, the gatekeeper, so to speak, to provide that service. Yeah, just as far as, you know, that, the you know, the um, I'm all for the, you know, the, the upliftment of, you know, the knowledge and wisdom of these plants and how they can be used, you know, and that there's potentially the centres opening up that are using this, you know, that even, you know, the NHS here, you know, the health service are looking into, you know, using psychedelics in their therapy. So and I think that's all to the good. But, you know, just in reality, it's just, you know, making sure that um, those wider groups, those so-called diverse communities get a look in, they're able to sit around the table. This is how you're going to form true race relations. It's not after the fact, it's pre- doing things that you need to engage these groups in to build a real relationship, you know? So it's like anything, if you know you, you're interested in connecting with another man or a woman, um, you may not just jump into bed with them straight away. You know, it may take some courting before you get to those stages. And then throughout that process, that's how you get to build and form an understanding of, you know, each other's needs and stuff like that, and even your wants, you know, and how we can serve your needs as well as your wants in a, in a balanced way. So that's how you form a relationship with another human being. So it's going to require that in these other fields, whether it's psychedelics or, you know, as I said, education, you know, and other, you know, other areas of my life where I've found these challenges. But tying it in with psychedelics, just so you know, on that, on that, with that said, I really am very keen to see the movement, you know, integrate these things because I do feel that, you know, and through experience that they can support individuals. And that's where it all starts with the individual in, you know, in, in becoming as well as, you know, becoming a better version of themselves, so to speak, so that when they're in their places and spaces, whether it's work, you know, within, you know, crime, you know, you know, within the police force, you know, whether they're a nurse or, you know, whatever field or walk of life they're from, that through these experiences, if it opens up where people are now, partake more i feel that it will only support you know the the movement in being more you know integrative you know for you know for diverse people and diverse groups i find it so interesting that the role of mushrooms in nature are as decomposers right they break down and they redistribute resources and it feels like over the last couple of years and certainly over the last year a lot of our traditional institutions and social systems, at least in the West, are kind of breaking down. So I find it so interesting that the timing of like a public interest, you know, uh, there's been longstanding interest in mushrooms and in psychedelics, of course, as you mentioned, with these ancestral keepers of, of the wisdom. And then also even in the West, like there's been interest for the last 70 years. But like over this last year in particular, when things are really starting to break down and change and transform, there's this massive platform 
and public interest that's emerging. And it's almost as though the, the role of mushrooms in nature is carrying over to, you know, decompose these archaic institutions that are still kind of clinging on for power. And I think we're seeing a real breakdown right now. So I'm curious uh, to talk about high dose mushroom journeys, because I've always been an advocate and uh, for, for such ever since, you know, my earliest um, late teenage years when I started getting interested in psychedelics. And I was kind of taking these larger doses that would transport me to these realms of unimaginable beauty and something I know Kalindi Ee really reconnected me with that because so many people I knew, they were not interested in that or had never you know, thought to try it. And like even five grams was considered a massive dose. I know a lot of people who have never taken five grams, but here comes Kalindi when he, you know, I became aware of him talking about 20 gram plus doses. And that was something, I have some familiarity with those experiences realms. Are you also an advocate or an evangelist for these holy guacamole mega doses of you know 20 grams or larger than that? Is that something that interests you? Yeah, it's something that I speak on and share, but I also share that you get in where you fit and it's not a race. It's not something that you have to rush towards. And um, if you feel that where you're at, you need to be taking one gram, two gram, three grams or whatever, like do you, as we would we always commend anybody that's you know, brave enough to step into this space. And I'm also aware that, you know, dose, you know, mushrooms are very dose specific, you know, it affects people differently depending on dosage. So some people may not need to take that particular dosage um, and that's not necessarily their work or their journey. But at the same time, I, I use the metaphor of being able to, you know, um, get from one place to another. You require, for example, if you're on a, you know, a scooter or in a car, you're going to need, and even your human body, you need enough fuel in the tank to get you to places. But, you know, if I'm going to the end of the country, I may need to get a full tank or even, you know, I might need to get two tanks to get me all the way up there. So you know, your mission and where you're going may determine what kind of dosage or how much fuel you need in the tank to get you there. And if, for example, I'm in London, I've got to get to Scotland, which is, you know, at the top of the country, the top of the world to me, you know, um, you know, and I don't have enough fuel in the tank, you know, and at the same time, it might not be my mission to get to Scotland. I might just need to get, you know, you know, into the Midlands and that's that's your territory, you know, so everybody finds their space, finds their territory. And if you realize on your journey that you need more fuel in the tank, to get you where you need to get to, then that's what you, you know, the, the plant, the, the fungi or the plants will share that with you, you know. And if you get there and you take too much, and like Lindy would say, you know, um, and say that you're never going to do that again, you've taken too much, because that's when you're starting to make progress, you know, that's when you're starting to, you know, remove um, the barriers that are basically keeping you in, you know, kind of three lockdown in, you know, in the earthly spheres. And um, yeah, you know, again, so yes, I am an, an advocate, so to speak. Um, I know what I need to do, you know, and at times I may require a higher dose. And sometimes with the work that I'm doing, I require lower dosages, you know. So for me, you just you find your balance. And um, yeah, I tell people getting where you fit. Sure, yeah, that's a great metaphor that I'll certainly recycle about the, the journey and the gas in the tank. Um, so building off of that a little bit, do you have a preferred set and setting for different ranges of dose? For myself personally, like if it's a smaller dose, let's say a half eighth, I love the half eighth dose. I feel like it's very comfortable like uplifting and intuitive level of dosage. And that one I can be in some hot springs or, you know, out in the forest or even, you know, at a bonfire or something. And then I typically find that if I want to go and more of an exploratory dose, you know, like um, it's going to be higher and I'm, I prefer to be in a relaxed place, like in my room somewhere, you know, where 
I'm not going to have any too much external stimuli. So I'm just curious if you have a specific set and setting that you favor or if it's dependent upon the dosage. Yeah, very similar to you, my man. You know, just as far as the dosage, you know, there's, you know, dosage I like I can use to be outside, whether that's to do my practices that I work with, you know, certain body practices or just taking a walk through the forest, as you, as you mentioned. Um, and just like yourself, at the higher dosages, I prefer to be at home, you know, um, in my space where I'm at, where I feel comfortable and I can, you know, just dive deeper without any extra stimuli. So, you know, without no... Yeah, any whatever that may be. So obviously outside you've got the trees, you've got the birds, you know, and you know, all those things are engaging. But um at times to do, you know, work with the higher doses, you may not want or need those stimuli to, you know, impact on the journey that you're having. So um it again depends on the work that like you said, just depends on the work that I'm doing. But higher doses I tend to be at home and um create different sets, you know, um, and settings according to my intentions, you know, what I would like to get out of it. Sure. What got you started cultivating mushrooms? Like how old were you or like, you know, what, what in your life led you to start, you know, go from the experience and maybe experiencing them for the first time to saying, oh yeah, I'm going to cultivate and I'm going to end up doing the shroom shop pro class. Cool, man. Well, so yeah, it's like a, into several paths that, you know, that merged at a certain point, but, um, you know, one that, you know, as far as um, you know, the key player, Kalindi E, as we've mentioned, you know, on my journey of just wanting to find out more about psychedelics because it had been something that had come up a few times over the years that I had not really investigated seriously. I took the time out to investigate it seriously through research and eventually got to partake in, you know, in, in psychedelics. So, you know, when all the pieces kind of made sense that I was on the right track, you know, I felt I was on the right track. And, um, you know, as far as I had a background in teaching and, um, you know, creative arts, music, filmmaking, I'd also picked up the interest of, you know, organic food growing in horticulture. And I've gone back to study that and eventually then merged that with teaching, you know, to young people. And part of my studying, as you mentioned earlier on, was all about, you know, um, mushrooms, not directly, but simply because my two favorite subjects were soil science and um, composting. And I basically come to find out that the magic behind soil and the magic behind composting is this organism known as fungi or mycelium and the role that it played in breaking down the first bedrock to form the first layers of soil, as well as anybody who's got a compost heap, the role it plays in breaking down organic matter into food to feed the soil, you know, and create soil again. So um, just like you mentioned earlier on, the role that mushrooms play in the physical sphere and then you've got this cosmic thing going on at the same time where you know our mushrooms composting you know this dimension this place this earth and turning it to shit because that's what it all that's what it always does it turns everything to shit and it creates new life again it starts all over again so with that said these were some of the interests that i had things i picked up on and as a teacher you know i felt you know i could focus more on mushrooms and because it was you know playing a big part in my life at that time and one thing led to another, man. I became, you know, delivering these workshops, you know, around mushroom cultivation, which then led to doing pro workshops and four-week courses and stuff like that. Oh, man, I can totally see you in the classroom just as an educator. You know, I also have a background as an educator. I taught high school for several years, multimedia production. And this whole podcast premise I've got now seems like a natural extension of that, just expanding the classroom and kind of like trying to build a platform where we have engaging discourse is what it is. I'm not trying to position myself as an authority. It's more like I want to get cool people like you on here who are doing badass work and I want to engage you in a discourse and then, you know, build an audience and, the end goal is to have more people in the audience start to say, 
well, why don't I start cultivating? Why don't I start experimenting and kind of like magnify the potential between the symbiosis between humanity and mycelium? And I think that's the direction the world needs to go in. You know, these sort of regional supply chains, circular economies, removing the barriers, as you mentioned earlier. And I feel like um, podcasts and, and media content and getting in people's timelines is a good way to sort of build that and to help make it happen. So drawing from your uh, experience uh, at a cosmic scale, I've been really interested. You know, one of, the, one of the reasons I'm a big fan of yours is you don't walk on eggshells with your philosophies and your, your experiences. Like you come right out and say, mushrooms built the pyramids. And that's so refreshing to hear perspectives like that instead of, you know, people <laughs> being very, you know, oh, I have to appeal to my editor. I have to do this. It's like, nah, nah, mate, this is, this is what I have experienced. This is what I want to share. So I saw that you've got a, a Zoom presentation coming up called, um, I believe it's called Psychedelics and the Goddess Mysteries. Can you tell us a little bit about how that came about? And maybe uh, if anybody's listening and wants to join, we're going to definitely include some links in the podcast before that comes up and maybe share some about that Zoom presentation. Cool, nice, man. Well, I've got to give credit to Kalindi again because you mentioned, you know, mushrooms built the pyramids and I've got that quote from Kalindi EE, you know. When I first heard it, I thought he had taken too many mushrooms, you know, he's mushroom biased. And um, little did I know I had to then do my own research and have the experiences to see, you know, the, the templates that were laid to enable us to design the pyramids and, you know, certain structures that you find around the globe that are safe many cultures. You know, so um, with that said, as far as, you know, the presentation of Goddess Mysteries, my research into the ancient traditions, you know, um, and psychedelics, there was a lot of, you know, um, discussion, um, information around, you know, the feminine archetype and the goddess, you know, in, in many cultures, you know, you know, starting in Africa, but coming all the way through to, you know, Asia, the Americas and Europe, you find that within the mythology of the mystery systems of these sacred traditions that, you know, the goddess or the feminine type plays an important part, as well as the masculine. But as we know, in this eight day and age, you know, the, you know, the feminine is underrepresented on many platforms. So um, as a gatekeeper of the feminine mysteries, I decided to share what's been revealed to me. So um, within that um, presentation, I go again from the ancient world, dealing with those earliest people that, as I mentioned, we go in a chronological order of looking at the earliest peoples and all of these groups. And what did they say, you know, about psychedelics and what did they say about the goddess or the feminine archetype in connection with, you know, the goddess or with the psychedelic, should I say. In Africa, they make reference to, you know, in, in, in the Congo, for example, where love began, you know, in this era of humanity, they talk about life coming out of a mushroom. You know, one of their stories, the mythology is that life comes out of a mushroom and that even, you know, the sun, the stars, the mountains, the rivers and the great mother also comes out of this mushroom, the great mother before they do the great father. So, you know, with, with that, that's where my, you know, my research and interest started. And then you, you come through all the way through ancient Egypt with the goddess Isis or better yet Oset. She holds mysteries around the afterlife and the world with her consort of Thor, who's commonly known as Paris. And they have loads of connections with, you know, psychedelics, not just mushrooms, but DMT and, Blue Lotus, to name a few, um, you know, so you find it in the ancient Egypt, Egyptian or Kemetic systems, and even in Europe, you know, with the goddess Persephone, you know, there's, you know, discussions around her journeys into the underworld, and all these goddesses around the world that have these connections with the underworld, they have a technology that enables them to go to the underworld, you know, in Gabon, they make reference to Iboga being that technology, and it was gifted to a woman, you know, 
and then in you know ancient Egypt, that technology was gifted to a feminine archetype as well. You know, and the goddesses that are associated with these, you know, um, psychedelics have got you know um, just kind of coded within their script in their tales. And the same goes for Persephone, as I mentioned, when you get into Greek mythology, you know, and her into the underworld and her mother sharing what's symbolically or literally taken in some cases to be mushrooms, you know, that enabled her to understand herself and the journey that she was going on when being captured by Hades, the, the god of the underworld. So, yeah, within the mythology, there's these representations of the goddesses, you know, feminine archetypes throughout the mythology. So I just delve in, man, and open up, you know, open it up. Open up I'm glad that you're doing that vital research and sharing it with people because I, mythology is such an important part of understanding the psychedelic experience and human archetypes and being able to, to build a relational agency with these profound technologies, as you mentioned, in that capacity. And let's build off that for a little bit. I'm fascinated with this idea of psychedelics and entheogens being the basis for modern religion. I was raised you know, very devoutly in the Christian church and I have quite a keen connection to the Bible and to, you know, biblical history and also have spent time living in Saudi Arabia. So I'm quite familiar with Islam and some of their values and have even been to Mecca at the invitation of a, a local Muslim, Muslim friend. And of course there's mounting evidence and some degree of broader cultural recognition that entheogens are the historical basis for contemporary religion. Um, it's still a very controversial opinion or position for a lot of obvious reasons because it essentially validates and invalidates a lot of contemporary religion. It, it confirms some of what people have been talking about and it also invalidates some of the more recent customs or rituals and the, the institution of the church and beyond. So one obvious example to me about entheogen use or, or presence in the Bible is Moses and the burning bush, right? Yeah, that's a pretty obvious, overt example. Can you tell us, tell us a little bit more about some of your frame of reference and, and philosophies about entheogens being the basis for all contemporary religion? Sure. So, um, again, if, if you know, if you know, your, uh, if you know your history, <laughs> you know, your story, you'll know that, you know, even if we take psychedelics out of the equation, you know, for just for a minute, we're aware that, the, you know, the main three religions, as we understand, Judaism, Christianity and Islam, you know, are pretty much, you know, connected by way of the, you know, the, Jew, the Jewish traditions um, are, you know, borrowed, let's say, from older traditions, you know, and lifted in some cases and copy and pasted in other cases and stolen in other cases. But it, the, the, the main, main thing being that there's older traditions that these mythologies and that these tales originally come from. And the further you go back, if you're into that type of stuff, you find that there's more of the detail, more of the story around what these religions or traditions were about before they you know, organized religions. So uh, that said, you mentioned the burning bush, you know, and Moses. And if you check any you kind of like biblical encyclopedia and, you know, go into that and find out, you know, because it's, you know, it's documented according to the, you know, the, the, the text, the text like the Torah, when you go deeper into it, what, you know, the bush was, you know, the actual type of bush that it was, you know, and they talk about it being the acacia tree or bush. And um, most people in the psychedelic field are familiar with ayahuasca and DMT and will be aware that, you know, that's the acacia bush is a DMT containing, you know, alkaloid plant and you can extract DMT from that. And, you know, the usage of that has been done in different ways from, you know, making drinks and brews to, you know, as the incense and fumigating temples. 
and you know just like they fumigate the temples with frankincense in the church for example you know um, which is also a psychoactive you know if done correctly um, you could you know they were making these concoctions that would involve DMT you know and the initiates as well as those you know the priests themselves would be in these temples and the, the sacred spaces and distributing the sacred plant through physical means or you know through the incense and they would have direct communication or communicate with God and um, this is filtered down into Christianity also where you have you know holy communion and that's what holy communion is you know kind of rooted in ceremony around that these are all ancient tradition they find in older traditions and they kind of are a lot clearer that the bread and the wine in their traditions is not the bread and the wine that we're partaking go to church you know um, the bread and the wine well the wine might still be you know part and parcel of creating that altered state of consciousness that supports you in getting into those states where you can commune with your god so to speak or on um, the bread being you know some form of psychoactive you know in particular mushrooms it's discussed that being you know as far as brown cap you know and ceremony that you know the priest goes through to allow you to have holy communion where you're meant to commune with the holy you know i'm not sure if those wafers do it now but back in the days there may have been other things that they were used to the wafer and the company offering up in church so these are some of the things that i've discussed in the psychedelics and religion talk man and we go into islam as well and you know there's even imams now who are suggesting that you know certain psychoactives should be made you know permissible in the traditions you know and it shouldn't be haram you know so it's interesting that all of the main three religions as well as the ones that they're connected to speak of various you know psychoactives that you know support them in communicating with their god and that's where they pretty much got the word from you know that became the religion of the word that how they heard god or spoke with god yeah i'm a, I'm a fan of graham hancock i had a I had a chance to meet him when I was uh, at university in San Francisco, and I've subsequently read Fingerprints of the Gods, and it's, you know, of course it's fascinating, and that's just one particular arena of study and one scholar doing work on it, but I, I have a feeling through, you know, your presentations and through the building momentum of this that more people are going to start to, you know, examine these historical records and start to hopefully um, create a more unified body of knowledge that addresses a lot of these ancient mysteries. I know there's been a, The Immortality Key is a recent book that came out, which I haven't had a chance to read yet, but talks about the Eulicinian mysteries. Um, so it's fascinating arena of study. I think it, it deserves all the devotion possible, and we need more people who are doing the, the citizen science or citizen uh, history, if you want to call it that, to unpack some of this stuff and, and uh, resurrect it. So um, I'd love to talk about Kalindi Ii for a second. He really has been a massive voice of inspiration for a lot of people, you know, in this in this movement, myself included. Uh, how did you first link up with them? What's, what's that whole story? How did you get connected to Kalindi? Cool, man. So, yeah, in fact, I, you know, before I physically connected with him, I was familiar with his work. Um, Kalindi was known, you know, primarily in my, you know, in my community as a master martial artist, somebody who taught, you know, African fighting sciences um, and taught about origins of martial arts being rooted in Africa, you know, being rooted in Africa and migrating to other places, similar to religion and other things in life and in history. But um, with that said, he was sharing, you know, a lot about the martial arts, demonstrational videos and stuff like that. And I knew of his work for over, you know, 15 years. And um, it was just on that journey, as I mentioned earlier on, where doing my history class and getting into metaphysics and esoteric and occult 
like information. I was learning more about these plants being involved in the ceremonies and rituals. And um, by way of some, you know, mutual friends and other teachers, they directed me or redirected me back to Kalindi, you know, in his work. And he was teaching between martial arts and psychedelics. And cut a long story short, I eventually came across his work again and was able to connect with him directly, you know, by way of the phone. And he was made, he was actually going to be making his way to the UK, you know, within a few weeks for the very first breaking convention back in 2011. So um, that's where I first got to connect with him. And we built a relationship, a friendship as friends, as an elder, as a teacher, you know, um, supporting me and me supporting him. And, you know, he helped me, um, you know, he taught me how to fish, how to cultivate mushrooms, you know, I was, you know, instead of getting grow kits and stuff like that. So he gave me personal tutelage on growing mushrooms. He was the one who nudged me to basically get up and start public speaking, you know, and sharing some of my research and getting out there. So, um, yeah, I got to, you know, spend quality time with him traveling, you know, around the world, you know, primarily around Europe, like trying to get in, not trying to, getting him gigs, getting him seen, getting him heard, you know, because I knew how important he was and the message that he was, you know, delivering. So I was very keen to, you know, support him in any way that I could at that time. Well, what, you know, why I was here and I still do, because, you know, there's not nothing that I do. I don't speak his name. He's in existence and allow people to use the technology available like YouTube and Instagram and Facebook and what else blog talk radio where you can find an abundance of his work still you know waiting for you to you know receive if you've not received it before so um you know he was key in teaching you know about you know the connections with psychedelics in africa there was nobody on the circuit you know there's loads including myself those are people popping up in you know in the last you know in the last handful of years but this brother was laying foundations down for over 30 years talking and sharing this information and many of the groups and organizations that are established and still around to this day you know weren't keen to have what he was saying, you know, on the platform. So he he had loads of challenges in being seen and heard. And, you know, and that was why I, I, I dedicated a lot of time and energy into making sure that he was, because I knew that many doors weren't open for him, you know, for many different reasons. But, you know, we can get these doors open now. And that's what he worked on. And I'm very grateful that there exists a platform like YouTube or, you know, these podcasts for that message to get out and to proliferate. Um, speaking from my own perspective, you know, I, I was very interested very early on in my young adulthood in mushrooms specifically, and I didn't really feel like I ever had a, a mentor or like an elder. You know, I had a couple of books and, you know, Terrence McKenna books, but I, I felt like this whole idea of like, where do I go with this? Like, how do I, how do I work with this and bring it into my community and whatnot? It's something that's starting to become more commonplace. You know, now like, everybody has an integration circle and everybody's talking about it but i felt like you know for for many years i was just kind of trying to hack through the jungle with a machete trying to make sense of what was going on and the broader culture wasn't recognizing this it wasn't a you know acceptable socially acceptable dialogue or it was just kind of on the fringes or in the underground so i've been following with keen and tremendous interest as all of a sudden all this mainstream media is starting to talk about the benefits of psilocybin containing mushrooms and like i've even seen espn articles and bbc primetime spots and things like this and i just it's it's kind of confounding still that all of a sudden this narrative has entered the public arena in such a mainstream way it's very very fascinating stuff so You've got a ton going on right now, as we mentioned. And again, I'm so grateful that you made time to pop in here for an hour because I just see you popping up literally everywhere. Um, I know that you've got the Shroom Shop Pro class that you do and you run various Zoom classes and seminars. You've got, we talked about the Diaspora Psychedelic Society and your work in Jamaica, which again, I really hope to come 
visit at some point. Um, can you share some more about some of the projects that you have on the horizon for you that you're excited about? Yeah, sure, man. Well, there was one that, you know, was, was announced last week, Friday. So we're, you know, we're going to start, you know, getting that out there. And that's actually a, a course that would be the first of its kind for me to deliver at least, but probably, you know, the first of its kind in history where we're going to be looking at a, a three-week course in partnership with the Ancestor Project, formerly known as the Sabina Project, who you can find, you know, online. And um, this three-week course is going to be, look, it's actually called Psychedelic Emancipation. And it's going to be looking at, you know, psychedelics in Africa, you know. So if anybody's seen my presentations before, um, you know, that that's, you know, I touch on a lot and kind of take you on this, you know, fast track journey. But over this three-week course, we're going to be able to dive in and go real deep into some of these areas and focus on things that, you know, the audience, you know, don't often get to dive deeper into. So when we're going to spend three weeks, you know, looking at the ancient world, you know, looking at the transition between the ancient world all the way through to the modern world, but through the eyes and lens of, you know, somebody who's African and speaking to African people or people who are interested in that, those missing links. And those missing links play a big part in how we got to the here and now. So I would like to think people are interested, curious to come and find out more. Some of the stuff that I made reference to earlier on, as far as, you know, the Congo and Gabon and the Buiti traditions and the so-called pygmy groups, you know, the role that they've played going to the ancient Egyptians. Um, so we look at the ancient world as well as groups that you find today, like I mentioned, the Zulu, the Fuller tribe, the ones that's really that today, that they have these relationships with the sacred cows and the bulls who provide them with mushrooms that enable them to communicate with God or Christ. As we refer to it so it's all this type of stuff that i'll be going into showing you the connections between you know the ancient world and the present world but like i said just through the lens of you know somebody in, in a diaspora who's interested in their story well that, that's going to be awesome to follow i'm familiar with the ancestor project and i'll definitely be you know hopping on the instagram lives when y'all are doing what you do and um that's all i really wanted to touch on today i mean obviously with all of these dialogues we're really just scratching the surface you know there's an infinite amount of discourse that we can engage in and i just i really appreciate you taking the time to jump on the micropreneur podcast and drop knowledge darren LeBaron. we're going to make sure we link on you know some of these engagements that you just mentioned so people can find their way over to them and hopefully you know continue to get the great work that you're doing out there into the broader public arena so thank you again mate i really appreciate it and uh, i'm going to be following your work moving forward oh man dennis i really appreciate it as well for like i said for the invitation because like you said you know there's all of these platforms but it's just a matter of you know like what i like to call now spreading the spores and having someone who's into the michael world you know but the right name for the platform and stuff. It's all, you know, it all feels good to be doing this. So yeah, I'll be happy to do it again at your, you know, at your convenience, man. All right, well, we'll definitely make that happen. So thanks again, Darren. Everybody, make sure you go follow Darren LeBaron. I'll link the Instagram because this guy is a wealth of knowledge and it's a super exciting time to plug into what's going on. And I think Darren's frame of reference for, for approaching the world of mycology and mushrooms is one that cannot be overstated. Like we need more people doing this work. And um, I hope somebody listening is inspired to do their own research, you know, pick up the torch because there's, you know, there's the keepers of the ancestral wisdom. But at the end of the day, this is not about Darren and I, this is about you. This is about, you know, all of us together on this one. And um, this is such an exciting time to be a part of this movement right now. So you have a great time for the rest of the day. And I hope you get some well-deserved rest after this super hectic and busy week for you, Darren. Um, I much appreciate it, Dennis. All the best, man. Keep up the good work, and I'll catch you on the other side. All right, brother. See ya.
There's so much to cover in the mushroom universe and so many mycopreneurs leveraging the infinite potential of fungi to create a more ecologically balanced, inclusive, and equitable world for all of us mischievous little monkeys. I am completely stoked that you've chosen to spend some of your hard-earned time in our little corner of the mycoverse. Hop on the gram, say what's up. At Mycopreneur Podcast, that's the handle. Don't get it twisted. We've got the full suite of social media up and running. Twitter, Mycopreneur. Got the YouTubes dialed in, Mycopreneur. Drop us a line. Tell your grandma and your kooky uncle. Tell your wife and your kids. If you're a Mycopreneur yourself, you want to hop on the pod, by all means, willkommen, bienvenidos, welcome. Don't be a stranger. Let us know your thoughts on this episode, and also let us know what you want to hear in future episodes. This is a team effort. Thanks for stopping by the Mycopreneur podcast. And while you're here, go ahead and subscribe. Have a lovely day. We'll see you back here next week.